0: Man, I don't know about you guys, but it does my heart good to be here worshiping with you guys this morning. Those of you joining us online, welcome. We're glad you're with us. We're believing in our hearts that there's a connectedness as the gathered body of Christ um, across space even, through TV screens or laptop screens. We love you guys. Thanks for worshiping with us today. Um, Man, it just felt good just hearing voices in the room. I think my family was probably really glad not to just be hearing my voice in the living room singing. And so um, I will thank you all on their behalf. All right. Well, a couple of, of quick things. First of all, dads, we just want to acknowledge you guys. We are so thankful for you. Can we take a minute and just honor our dads this morning, guys? Um listen, I, I believe with all my heart that fathers are one of the keys to what our society and our culture needs right now. And dads, as invisible and thankless as that job can seem at times, the the work you do is essential. Thank you for loving your wives. Thank you for loving your kids. Thank you for being a picture of Jesus, giving our kids a glimpse of our Heavenly Father. Um, I know I don't get that right all the time, but I'm grateful for the presence of Jesus in my life that enables me to be as good of a dad as I can be. And so dads, thank you for that. All right, well, the other thing, obviously things are, are different right now, we're adjusting uh, to new territory, and so thank you guys for coming and participating with what we're doing here. Um, here's the deal, here's what we're gonna do, especially with the kids in the room, okay? We are gonna be very gracious to a little bit of squirming and noise, because we get it, that's part of all being gathered together. But also, we just want to say, if you need to, you can slide out of the room. Our cafeteria is set up. There's a live stream there. There's a place for nursing moms. And so we're all just going to kind of participate and figure this out together as we go. Thank you guys for your flexibility. Um, We're going to jump into the book of Isaiah now this morning. And so I want to give us a couple of things to consider kind of in a broad sense. And then we'll pray one more time and really dive into The passage this morning. If you you want to follow along, you can go ahead and turn to Isaiah chapter 6. That's the primary place that we're going to be this morning. Um, But I just want to give you a sense of the territory we're heading into. So we've been working our way through the Bible this year, and we have now arrived at the section of the Old Testament known as the prophets. And so there's the major prophets and the minor prophets, That doesn't mean that the major ones are the important ones and the minor ones aren't that big of a deal. It's about the size of the individual books. And so the minor prophets are the smaller one, the smaller um, letters, the smaller passages. The major prophets are the larger ones. In general, um, one of the things I want you to consider, as we're moving through the scripture, it's important for us as New Testament church to realize the Old Testament is incredibly relevant to us. It sets the tone for what's coming in Jesus. It shows us what's wrong and broken in the world and why we need a savior. There are basic life principles we can learn from the Old Testament, but one of the key things to realize is that Jesus is on every page of the Old Testament. And so as we move into the prophets specifically, I want you to consider this. There are some major Old Testament roles that different people had that were ultimately a picture of Jesus. Okay, and so for example, we've already seen priests, right? We've seen Aaron come along and the Levites and the priests operate on behalf of God's people. And a, kind of a simple way to consider a priest is a priest is someone who represents the people of God and comes before him on their behalf. And so in the Old Testament, the priestly role a big part of it is the sacrifices, right? And so they handle all of the sacrifices um, and once a year the high priest goes into the Holy of Holies before the presence of God with the blood of that lamb that covers our sins and that's a picture of Jesus. He is the ultimate high priest who not only was the sacrificial lamb but brings the sacrifice for us on our behalf in his priestly role. So priest go to God on behalf of the people. Does that make sense? Y'all tracking with me? Okay, and so we've learned a lot about priests up to this point. Another role that we've looked at a lot more recently is the role of a king. And so we see that God established kings, King David kind of being the pinnacle example of that. And that kingly role was to kind of govern and direct the people in the ways of God. And while the kings had varying levels of success and commitment to following God, None of them were perfect. But the kings that we see in the Old Testament are a picture of the coming future king, Jesus, who is our perfect king. And if we submit and to surrender our lives to him, he is the perfect king and the perfect guide of our lives. All right? Well, now we're moving into new territory looking at these prophets. And so a prophet is another role that Jesus fulfilled. And so if the priest goes to God on behalf of the people, A prophet comes to the people on behalf of God. A prophet speaks truth from God to the people that need to hear it. And so we've seen that role of prophet a little bit, for example, like the prophet Elijah or Elisha so far, and now that's the role Isaiah is fulfilling. When we think about Bible prophecy, I want you to think about Bible prophecy in two ways. In two ways. Um, There's, foretelling, right? It's, it's predicting the future. It's pointing to the future. Here's what's coming. Here's what's going to happen one day. There's, there's foretelling. But there is another part of Bible prophecy that maybe we don't um, live in as much awareness of, but it's actually the larger portion of the scripture is what's called forthtelling. It's speaking right here, right now, in this moment. It's the thing that God needs to say to the people right here today. Here's what you need to hear. Here's what you need to do. It might be to speak encouragement because his people are weary and tired and persecuted. And they just just need a word of encouragement. And so God will speak through the mouth of a prophet to say, be encouraged. Hold on. Be steadfast. I'm with you. Or the prophet might speak up and say, hey, something's wrong. Something's going on that needs to change and God's people need to to acknowledge what's broken and wrong and return to him and repent. And so the role of the prophet will speak things that people need to hear from God. And, And the largest percentage of prophecy in the scripture are people moved by God, speaking on his behalf right to this moment, right here, right now. And there are times where God wants to let his people know hey, there's some stuff I'm gonna do in the future, so be prepared and and don't be surprised and ready your heart. And so prophets will speak about the future and things that are coming. And so we see examples of both of these things in the book of Isaiah. So there's just some general kind of a way to view the prophets as we move into them. There are times that God will be speaking directly to the people of Israel and their current circumstance. There will be times where God is moving on the hearts of the prophets to prepare the people for the future and what's coming, all right? Now, Isaiah's message specifically. Isaiah speaks to present problems of the day. He highlights brokenness amongst the people of God, ways that they have not been following God or fulfilling their mission in the world. And so he speaks to some specific problems and he tells them there's judgment coming. You're gonna move into a place of captivity. People who are not the people of God will come and take you captive as a result of the fact that you haven't heeded God's warnings for generations. And so he speaks of coming judgment. But ultimately, while the book of Isaiah warns about problems and calls the people to change and lets them know that judgment is coming, ultimately, the book of Isaiah is pointing to God's redemptive plan, that there's hope, that he's gonna redeem And he encourages the people that have remained faithful to say, hey, there is a remnant of people who love me and are faithful to me. I'm I'm guarding you. I'm caring for you. And what's cool about the hope that Isaiah offers is he points to the hope of them coming back from captivity, but he also looks ahead to a coming savior, Jesus, a coming king. And he points to Jesus. And so We notice a lot as we get into the New Testament that Isaiah is quoted over and over and over again in the New Testament because he did so much foretelling about the coming King Jesus. Both Jesus' sacrifice and him as the reigning victorious king, the hope of the nations. Um, Conservative estimates are that Isaiah is quoted over 60 times in the New Testament. Then when you start factoring in places where it seems pretty clear that the writers in the New Testament are alluding to portions of Isaiah, it gets up into the 80s. And so Isaiah is very significant to us, the church, because it talks about our Savior Jesus. All right, so there's kind of an overview of Isaiah. Now this morning, what I wanna talk to you guys about is the importance of being in the presence of God. Now that is vitally important in every season of life. I want to say that up front. We were made to be in the presence of God. We need to purpose to be in the presence of God, to pursue that. But specifically, it's especially important for us to be in God's presence when things are difficult, when we're going through pain and struggle. It's important to be in the presence of God when we're in seasons of transition, where everything seems to be changing around us. In this specific passage we're gonna look at together this morning, that's what's happening. It's a transitional moment for the people of Israel. And it's been difficult and challenging. And Isaiah is able to be in the presence of God and something powerful comes out of that. So I wanna pray one more time. And then let's invite God as we explore Isaiah chapter six. Let's invite him personally. Like, yes, I wanna understand Isaiah's experience But guys, he writes this stuff for our benefit too. May God speak to our hearts about the importance of us being in his presence and what he wants to do in us and through us as a result of that, all right? So why don't we invite his presence right here, right now to be our guide and our teacher, amen? All right, well, Lord Jesus, we invite you now to speak to our hearts. We thank you that you are the living word And we pray that the scripture, the words on this page, they would come alive to us. God, while we are meant to approach your presence with a sense of reverence, um, fear, not being afraid of you, but just, just being aware of whose presence we're moving into or not to be flippant, God, we recognize that. But we also recognize Jesus, because of your work on the cross, You have made a way for us and the scripture tells us that we can boldly come before the throne of God and we can receive mercy there so we don't even have to hang back because we're broken and in need. That's the very reason we should come to you. And so Lord, I pray that we would hear your invitation, your call to be in your presence and God, that we could be inspired to see what you wanna do in our hearts, in our lives as a result of being in your presence in Jesus' name we pray, amen, amen. All right, so Isaiah chapters one through five have kind of opened up and they've sort of painted this bleak picture of the problems in Israel and what's taking place. And when we get to chapter six, Isaiah gives us a specific marker in time, a specific moment in history um, for the people of Israel, specifically the kingdom of Judah because Israel had split into two kingdoms at this point. And so the kingdom of Judah specifically. And so Isaiah chapter 6, it just opens simply like this. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne. Now, I just want to pause right in there. I know there's more to verse 1. We'll get to it in a minute. But Isaiah says, at this key moment, the king has died. And in the year that King Uzziah died, I caught a glimpse of God. I was able to come into his very presence. I got to see him sitting on his throne. Think about the significance of this. The king is dead, but there's the king. The earthly structures that govern and guide and bring direction and bring stability, those are shaking. They're in transition. But there is my savior. There is God. There's the one true king And that hasn't changed. No matter what's happening around me on this earth, my king is still on the throne. My king is still in charge. And and so if you hear nothing else this morning, I just want you to hear this. Friends, when things are shaking all around us in this world, we need to find hope and encouragement in the fact that ultimately, our God is on the throne He's in charge, he's in control, he's not surprised. And in the midst of instability and uncertainty and trouble, I can find hope in the steadfast presence of my God, who's the same yesterday, today, and forever. Is anybody else grateful for that truth? I am, and so Isaiah catches a glimpse of this. Now listen, this context is important here because he talks about King Uzziah, Now, something specific has happened. I I would encourage you to go read about this in 2 Chronicles chapter 26. You could then flip over to 2 Chronicles chapter 27. In this transitional moment that Isaiah is talking about, a couple things have happened. First of all, King Uzziah, overall, he's described as being a pretty good king. In fact, he was successful. His kingdom was strong, and much of his reign was marked by being a guy who was after God's heart, ruled according to God's ways, and Israel was experienced, or the kingdom of Judah specifically, experienced a lot of stability. Things were good in his kingdom. The problem is pride began to develop in his heart. He began to feel a little more certain about himself than maybe he should. And we see a picture in 2 Chronicles 26 about how he viewed the presence of God. And it's clear in that passage that he was flippant about it. Remember I talked about the different roles, prophet, priest, and king? Well, he just decided as king, I'm going to start acting like the priest. And he went into the presence of God and was doing things that only the priest was supposed to do. And so he had become flippant about God's presence. Like it was no big deal to be in God's presence. And that brought about devastating consequences, he was actually still alive when he stopped being the king. We'll we'll get to this a little bit more in a moment, but because of his flippancy in the presence of God, he suddenly in an instant developed leprosy. And because of his leprosy, he had to be removed from all the people and live like a leper. And so the once proud, successful king of Judah was flippant about the presence of God and there were consequences because of that. And so he gets leprosy and he's now isolated and now his son Jotham ascends the throne while his father is still alive. And so this passage, this moment where Isaiah is saying in the year that the king died, it's somewhere in the midst of this transitional moment. He's alive, there's another king on the throne, his son has ascended to the throne and his son Jotham He wasn't flippant about the the presence of God. He had the opposite problem. He saw what had happened to his father, and so he avoided the presence of God. He stayed away. And the scripture describes him as as a good, faithful king, again, but says that he didn't go into the temple of God. Outwardly, he did the right stuff. Outwardly, He was, you know, he was following the list. He was a good guy. He was a good king. But he didn't enter the presence of God. He missed out. He avoided it. And these twin errors of being flippant about the presence of God, or by simply avoiding the presence of God, hey, I can do the stuff he asks me to do. I can follow the plan he has for my life but am I choosing to have real intimate relationship with God? Am I choosing to lean into his presence? And these two twin errors of being flippant about God's presence or avoiding it altogether, it created a problem. Not only did it mean these guys missed out on something in their own lives, but the one thing that was said about both kings is that while their kingdoms were relatively stable and honored God, they did not tear down the high places. And the people that they influenced, the people in their kingdom were worshiping incorrectly because they would go to these other idols. They looked to these other things and worshiped them. And so there were problems in the kingdom that were ignored and that were allowed to continue. And it was a direct result of these kings not taking the presence of God seriously. Not taking it seriously or avoiding it altogether. And so they missed out, and the people of God missed out. Guys, if, if we settle for a, a form of Christianity where we follow the king, but we don't know the king, we're missing out. We we do great damage in our own hearts and lives if we're just following him from a distance. And listen, that permeates our culture. And I believe one of the things contributing to the problems that we see in our country is for at least a generation, if not more, what a lot of our children have seen and our kids' kids have seen is a large portion of American Christianity that's Christian in name only. But the people don't truly know and follow the living God. And so it's it's a skewed representation of God. It's not the full picture of him and his goodness and the life that he offers. And so then we compromise and we allow things to stick around in our midst that aren't right. And we are ripped off as a result. And God's people don't experience the life and the freedom they were meant to experience. It starts in my life. It starts in my house. It starts in the king's heart and then it trickles down to our areas of influence. But thank God for Isaiah because Isaiah was a guy who leaned into the presence of God. And so I wanna give us three things to consider this morning that transpire when we decide to be people who are gonna be in God's presence, all right? There's three things we see from this passage that Isaiah experiences that we can experience. Number one, Being in God's presence is revealing. Being in God's presence is revealing. Check this out. Isaiah 6, verses 1 through 3. I'll read all of verse 1 now. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him stood the seraphim, each had six wings, with two He covered his face, with two he covered his feet, and with two he flew. And one called to another saying, holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. Isaiah gets a glimpse of the larger, greater reality. He sees God for who he really is and He sees what happens when God's creation is in his presence. When God's creation is in his presence and catches a glimpse of him, we're blown away. God, you are amazing in and of yourself. You are holy, beautiful, glorious, wonderful. And God, when I see you for who you are, I get a picture of what the world could really look like because I begin to see the world through the eyes of God. I can see his fingerprints. His glory on the earth. Because the king up there, when he's made king down here, his glory fills the earth. And so Isaiah catches a glimpse of this. Listen, friends, all too often I believe we are judging heaven by what we see on earth. I'm making large assumptions about who God is and who he isn't. What he's done and what he hasn't done and should be doing. And I project through what I see with my eyes on this earth, and I project that onto heaven. Man, you, you talk about living with a sense of disappointment, discouragement, hopelessness. Guys, I struggle with that. I, I try to stay up to date. I want to know what's happening in my community. I want to know what's happening with my friends. I want to know what's happening in my country. But if my vision is filled with the brokenness of this world and I'm not spending time in the presence of God, then I begin to project onto heaven what I see on earth. But Isaiah reverses that. And he says, no, I'm aware of what's happening on the earth. Man, things are shaking right now. The old king has leprosy. The new king is kind of scared of being in God's presence. And we're in this transition and things are kind of a mess. And in light of that, He steps into the presence of God and he catches a glimpse of what's real. Spiritual things are the greater reality. The natural world comes from the spiritual. God, who is spirit, spoke natural into existence. Heaven predates earth. Earth came forth when the voice of heaven spoke. And when God finished creating, he said, This is good. And then he made you and I, and he says, This is really good. And then brokenness and sin entered our world. But God's perspective and his heart towards you and I and towards this world, it's still that goodness. And that's the redemptive work he longs to do. And so when we enter the presence of God, here's what happens. We see him for who he is. We catch a clear, beautiful picture of who God is. And then we begin to see what it is he wants to do in this earth. The measure we should use when determining how my life needs to change, the measure we should use when determining how do we fix the problems that we see in this world, That lens should be a heavenly lens. God, I'm I'm leaning into your presence. God, would you help me to see you in the midst of the brokenness I see? God, would you help me to see you, who you are, what you're about? God, would you help me to get a glimpse of what would my family look like if you were the king in my house? How would your glory, that fills the whole earth, But like, let's get real. I would love for the whole earth to be glorious. Man, right now, I just settle for my home life being glorious. That'd be pretty great, wouldn't it? God, what would it look like if you, the heavenly king, the eternal king, if your presence was invited here? Do you notice how it described when Isaiah saw him on the throne? He said his train, like his robe, his glory, whatever that train was, man, it was filling the temple. The glory that emanated from the heavenly throne was entering the physical realm. God's presence was right there in the temple. God, that glory that you offer, would you fill this temple? That's what what we're called now. We're called the temple of the Holy Ghost. God comes and resides with us and in us. God, would you fill this temple with your presence? How might your glory change my life? How might your glory affect the lives of my family? How might it begin to spread to the relationships that I have around me? When we see earth through heaven's eyes, we get a clear picture of the standard that we should be reforming to. And all the brokenness that we're seeing in our world, there is this real stirring to say some things need to change. I would hope that we can all look at the world around us and be able to acknowledge pretty much in any season some things need to change. The question is, what do we want to see them change to? And if the church of God isn't willing to get into the presence of God and get a clear picture of what God's presence would look like if he intervened in this specific moment In this specific situation, how might the presence of God redeem this issue that I see in my country, in my city, in the world around me? Let heaven speak to those issues. And then we have a clear standard that things need to be reformed to. And then the people of God, filled with the presence of God, can participate in that process. That's what happens next. As Isaiah gets this clear picture of the presence of God and it reveals something it reveals to him his personal condition. Usually, I'm really aware of the conditions out there that need to change. But when Isaiah got real and entered the presence of God, he was aware of his personal condition. Verse five. I'm going to go ahead and read five, six, and seven, Jacob, kind of all together. And I said, This is Isaiah speaking after he's seen this heavenly picture. Woe is me, for I am lost. It becomes real clear what's broken when we see what's right. Woe is me, for I am lost. For I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. See, being in God's presence not only revealed who God is and what this world needs, it was a revealer to Isaiah, of his personal condition. Even as the prophet of God, he recognized his own brokenness. And he starts with that kind of just honest lament. God, I'm the one that's broken. I'm the one that needs to be made right. And here's the good news. When we enter God's presence and he reveals stuff to us, he doesn't leave us sitting there in our current condition. The second thing that happens if we're willing to be in the presence of God He doesn't just reveal things to us, he purifies us. Look at verse six. Then one of the seraphim flew to me, having in his hand a burning coal that he had taken with tongs from the altar. And he touched my mouth and said, behold, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away and your sin atoned for. Isaiah was cleansed by being in the presence of God. Our God extends mercy to us. When we see him for who he is, and then it reveals to us our place, our condition, what we need, what we find there is a loving God who is merciful and who wants to cleanse and heal and restore. That's God's heart towards us. There's there's something about being in dad's presence that just suddenly everything clicks into place and I see with stunning clarity um, one of the clearest pictures of this for me is being a dad and walking into a room, kind of just minding my own business, and one of my kids is in there, and the look on their face when you walk in the room. And whatever they were doing a moment before, they had no problem doing it. But dad walks in the room, and suddenly it's like, oh, not supposed to be doing this. <laughs> Got caught with my hand in the cookie jar. One of my favorites is my son, Micah. You know, I tell Micah stories all the time. If you don't know Micah, you got to get to know my son, Micah. But um, my son, Micah, he's an early riser. And so one of the things he's realized is if I wake up really early and go into the living room, if I turn the volume way down on the TV, mom and dad won't know I'm awake, even though it's like 5 o'clock in the morning. And then he's turning on his video games, you know, and what's funny is every now and then my wife and I will maybe hear something or whatever and we walk into the living room and he does either one of two things. He's got this new thing he's been doing. When he's caught doing something wrong, he jumps to attention and goes like this. It's the, it's the most hilarious thing. I don't know if he watched this on a show, where he got from, but it's just like, oh, yep, yeah, okay, I'm going to straighten back out. Yes, sir. Or he'll do this. We walk in the room and he just sets the controller down, doesn't speak a word, I mean, Micah doesn't really say a lot anyways, but he just sets the remote now and just beelines back upstairs to his room. Like, I wasn't here. Maybe you didn't see me if I just get out of here quick enough. Listen, that's what we try to do though, right? Like dad catches us doing something and it's either like, oh, yes sir, okay, sorry, got it. Or I just try to run and hide. We don't have to do either. When we get in the presence of God, we don't have to pretend that we were the faithful soldier all along because he knows. (laughs) And we can just be real about that. We also don't have to run and hide. We don't have to avoid. He loves us, and he invites us into his presence. And listen, it might be painful to see some of the things that are broken and wrong in me. It might be painful to see that, but it's for my benefit. And his heart is to purify and cleanse us. And that's what he does. And see, here's here's one of the biggest differences between Uzziah and Isaiah. I just want you to see this real quick. I mentioned the passage a little bit, but I want to read a couple of verses to you. So King Uzziah, um, verse. Uh, this is 2 Chronicles 26, verse 16. But when he was strong, he grew proud to his destruction. For he was unfaithful to the Lord his God, and he entered the temple of the Lord to burn incense on the altar of incense. Now I want you to see something here. He moves into the presence of God and he's a little bit flippant about it and he does something wrong. That's not when he got leprosy. His error isn't what brought about the corrective judgment of God in his life. When he errs in that moment, the next couple of verses tell us that the priests rush in and tell him his error. Don't do this. You need to leave. You're not supposed to be here in this way at this time. You need to leave. And they call him out on it. And unfortunately, he doesn't respond like Isaiah with, woe is me, I'm unclean, I shouldn't be doing this, I'm sorry. Verse 19, when he gets confronted, here's his response. Then Uzziah was angry. His pride wouldn't allow him to be corrected. And called out. He was angry. Now he had a censer in his hand to burn incense. And when he became angry with the priest, not when he did something wrong, when he refused to be corrected for what he was doing wrong. In that moment, leprosy broke out on his forehead in the presence of the priest in the house of the Lord by the altar of incense. Uzziah was unwilling to be corrected when he was in the presence of God. Isaiah was willing to be corrected. He he was heartbroken over his condition. He lamented. I think it's interesting to note that the same presence of God that brings judgment is also the presence that brings healing. I find that interesting. I find it interesting that Isaiah is purified By fire. He's purified by a coal that's taken from the fire. The same fire that we view as judgment, we see pictures of it in descriptions of hell. The same fire that represents judgment, it's that same fire, the presence of God, that cleanses and purifies. That washes us clean. And I think what's significant about that, there's probably a lot of things, but one of the things that's significant about that is that being purified hurts It hurts when I have to choose to let go of some things, to give some things up. It hurts when an area gets touched, like, hey, that that area right there, that ain't right, and something's got to change. That hurts. But listen, guys, when we come into God's presence and we're willing to be honest about our condition and we look to Him for cleansing and purification, it's a hurt that heals. It's a hurt that heals. We might have to let go of some things. I would almost say you certainly will have to let go of some things when you're being corrected. But it's for our good. It's for our benefit. We will most likely lose something. But look what you gain. You gain the glorious presence of God in your life. You gain his redeeming, healing presence. You gain his glory that comes rushing in and changes things if I'm willing to be in God's presence, it will be a revealer, it will be a purifier, and then our last point this morning, being in God's presence is inspiring. God doesn't want to heal us in a vacuum. Yes, he starts with the individual, but he's looking for people who will carry his presence outward to a world in need. And so immediately, as Isaiah has this heavenly vision. And then immediately, as he's purified, we move into the next verse, verse eight. And I heard the voice of the Lord saying, whom shall I send and who will go for us? Then I said, here I am, send me. Isaiah immediately is inspired to speak on God's behalf to a world in need. And so there is this inspiration to say, look at God. Look how good he is. Yes, this hurt and it was painful, but he's changing my life. He's redeeming my family. He has hope for the current brokenness in our world. And I'm inspired by the presence of God. And I want to be a carrier of that truth to a world that needs it. That's exciting. It's inspiring. And you can almost imagine Isaiah going, yes, this is going to be awesome. I was just in the presence of God, and it did this radical thing in my life, and I can't wait to tell people about it. This is awesome. Okay, God, let's get ready. What are we gonna tell them? How cool is it gonna be to watch this change the world? And what does God say? Verse nine, and God said, go and say to this people, keep on hearing, but do not understand. Keep on seeing, but do not perceive. Make the heart of this people dull, And their ears heavy and blind their eyes, lest they see with their eyes, hear with their ears, and understand with their hearts, and turn and be healed. God is immediately real with Isaiah, and he says, hey, buddy, I got to tell you something. You're going to go share this good news to the world, and most of them, they're going to plug their ears. They're going to be unwilling to see what you're saying. They're going to be unwilling to step into the presence of God and see me for who I am and let me communicate some truth about their condition and what they need. They're gonna have hearts that are resistant and hardened to me. But he doesn't say, so then don't go. The inspiration that comes from being in the presence of God means he will invite me to be a carrier of good news. But I should prepare myself for being unpopular. I should prepare myself that many will resist, but it's worth it. It's right and good. And guys, one of the primary passages in Isaiah that gets quoted over and over again in the New Testament is that verse, those verses, nine and 10. Let me give you some examples. Jesus himself quotes that passage in all four Gospels. In three of the Gospels, they're around the same story, Remember the the, the story of the sower and the different soils? And the sower, what's he doing? He's sowing the word of God. He's sowing the message that comes from the presence presence of God through the mouth of a prophet to speak to people who need to hear something from God. He's sowing that heavenly message and the people are the soil. And most of the soils do not receive the message and produce anything, So does the sower only pick out the one good soil and throw the seed there? The carrier that's inspired by the message of God spreads that truth everywhere it'll go. And for the good soil where it finds and it lands, it produces something powerful. It produces a hundredfold, produces fruit. In the context of telling this parable though, He looks at the disciples. This is in Matthew's gospel chapter 13, Mark's gospel chapter 10, Luke's gospel chapter eight. Jesus said, the people are not gonna hear and understand my parables. And then he quotes Isaiah. And he says, they're not gonna hear, they're not gonna see, they're not gonna understand. They're blinded to this truth. They are the very soils I'm talking about. But my disciples Will receive the message and it'll change them. You know what set the disciples apart from the rest of the people that were present when Jesus told the story? Jesus did not explain the parable when he told it to everybody. You know how the disciples learned what the parable was about? They sought his presence. They came to him after the fact and said, Tell me more about that. What were you saying there? What were you doing there? Friends, if we will develop that same heart that says, God, I'm going to lean in to hear what you're saying. God, help me to see this world that I'm looking at. It's like a mysterious parable to me right now. (laughs) I have no clue how to read what's going on. So, God, I'm going to come into your presence and say, Lord, will you speak truth into my heart? Will you help me to see who you are, what you're doing, what you're saying right here, right now? Two more quick examples. In John's gospel, when Jesus quotes this, it's his last public speaking. It's in John chapter 12. From that point forward, he begins to celebrate the Passover with just his disciples, and then he's betrayed and killed. So his last public declaration, it says that the people around him in John chapter 12, many of them were the teachers of the law, the people who knew the scripture backward and forward. And it said some of them rejected him, but it also said many of them believed in him. But for fear of the people, for fear of the Pharisees, they didn't confess it publicly. They were worried more about what the people around them thought than they were about following who God was and what he had to say. And then Jesus spoke this passage over them. Same thing. You see, but you don't. You hear, but you won't. This could penetrate your heart, but you let it bounce off because you've resisted. Paul also, similar passage. The book of Acts closes with Paul in Rome, and the Jewish leaders in Rome come to him, and they want to hear about Jesus and why Paul is there, why is he imprisoned, what's going on. And Paul lays all this stuff out, and there's some curiosity and there's some skepticism, but ultimately they're rejecting it, and Paul says, this is why the message is going forth to the Gentiles. They'll receive it and you won't. Now, when we hear this type of stuff, it's easy to go, okay, well, part of this is talking about Israel, right? Like, people in Old Testament mindset couldn't receive the truth of Jesus. But I just have to tell you, we are especially in danger when we grow up in a culture that is immersed with the Bible. Now, whether we've actually really dove into the Bible or not, whether our lives are based on it or not is a different story, but we're familiar with it. There's churches on every street corner. We are the people of God. We live in a culture that church is kind of everywhere and we have the same potential danger of becoming dull to the real message of Jesus, to the actual living presence of God, not a dead, tired old book not some moral code I'm just supposed to adhere to, a God that I am to know and to follow, who loves me and who wants to transform my life and who wants to inspire me to speak truth to others. But our ears can become especially dull. And so the point of what Jesus was trying to say and the thing we need to be careful of is this, that we don't miss the kingdom of God, that we see the power of Jesus' sacrifice And the power of yielding to him as our king. And how that could change things. Let's not settle for living amongst God's people and being pretty good. Like Uzziah or his son Jotham. Let's not be flippant about what we have. Like just this casual Christianity. It's sort of a part of my life. It's a part of my culture. I'm a Christian because my family's gone to that same church for the last however many generations. Let's not be flippant about it. Let's also not settle for avoiding God's presence. Let's not settle for a religiosity that holds him at arm's length and just goes through the motions. Let's not do that. Instead, let's purpose to be in the presence of God. Guys, that approach to living, it will reveal truth that brings life. Being in God's presence will then purify us and heal us It'll touch our present condition and it'll give some clarity and some hope for the world if we'll be inspired to carry the message of Jesus to others in need. Let's start at home and let's see how that trickles down into our neighborhood, into our community, into a world in need. May it find good soil. May we be carriers of that message because we've been in the presence of God. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you have made a way for us to be with you. Thank you that you are glorious and you made this world and the people in it for good to experience and reflect your glory. God, we acknowledge that personally we are broken, and we recognize that the world around us is broken and in need. God, we choose to believe that you are the hope of the world. You are the God who heals and redeems and restores. And so, Lord, I I pray wherever we find ourselves this morning, God, that we would be people who lean into your presence, and that, God, as we come into your presence, God, we get a a clear glimpse, a clear picture of who you are and, Lord, how you want to touch this world that's in need. God, that we'd come with some honesty, not pretending, not hiding, but with some honesty allowing you to cleanse and purify us. And, Lord, would we choose to be inspired by being in your presence to carry hope and truth and life to a world in need, even if it means we risk offending, even if it means we risk running some people off. God, our hope is to be carriers of the same invitation you've given us to come to you, all who are weary and are heavy laden, and find rest for our souls. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen, amen. All right, we love you guys. Thanks for worshiping with us today.